0: If you would turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians and chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16. And I want to just, uh, this morning, I want to preach a message entitled, Four Things to Be in Your Christian Life. Four things to be in your Christian life. Uh, You say, well, pastor, you know, I've been coming to the church for a little while, but I wouldn't call myself a Christian. Well, today would be a great day to start uh, because, you know, you can't run from God forever. Somewhere down the road, He will catch up to you. A lot of people, though, unfortunately, they push God away to the point where the time where He's going to catch up with them. Will be on Judgment Day. I trust that you don't wait that long. We we serve God today not because He's going to make us perfect. There isn't anybody, there isn't anybody in this building who is perfect. Not a one. No matter how long you've been saved, no matter how long you've been a Christian, there is nobody who is perfect. I recognize today that we live in an imperfect world, and they need to see. The world needs to see something. That is above where they are. Uh, because the, even the world knows it's not perfect. People in the world know they're not perfect. I don't think anybody really expects that of a Christian. And yet, at the same time, we are to, as believers, we are to mature and grow. When the Bible talks about perfection and tells us that we are to be perfect, it simply means that we are to grow and mature in the Lord. It doesn't mean that we are to perform perfectly at all times and never ever break any any kind of uh, law or principle that we find in Scripture. It simply means that we need to grow because we are imperfect. But First Corinthians chapter sixteen and verse thirteen says this. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong. Let me read that again. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong. If you have ever been told by somebody what it is that you should be, How many of you enjoy being told how you ought to be and how you ought to act? Come on now, anybody? Anybody like that? I didn't think so. I'm glad you're all honest today too, because there isn't anybody in this room, including yours truly, who likes to be told how they ought to be, how they ought to act. What? You know, maybe you're you're just not acting properly, Uh, and you know, maybe it's your mama, maybe it's your husband, maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's somebody else who looks at you, your boss, and it just tells, no, that's, that's not what you're supposed to do. Well, what am I supposed to do? You know, we get all defensive and, and uh, everything about how we are and what we're supposed to be, what we think we ought to be. And we don't like being told how we ought to be as we live this life, whether it is as a Christian or just as a human being. We don't like being told what to be, right? You say, well, I think you ought to be this. Well, I'm going to be the opposite because you told me what I want. No. But the Bible does tell us as believers what we should be, how we should be. Paul, in fact, gives us four important things. He tells the Corinthians that there are four things that they should be so that they can be what God wants them to be. How many of you want to be what God wants you to be? So, if we want to be what God wants to be, here's what we got to do this morning. We got to set aside our pride a little bit and we got to open up to what the Lord wants and say, Lord, I'm ready and I'm willing to be all that you have designed for me to be. Really, there are five things, but if you want to include the verse that follows our text, which we didn't read, but really, we're going to focus on these four things that we need to be in our Christian life. We've got to just open our hearts to the Word, honor the Word, and let the Word sink deep down on the inside and teach us what we need to be as believers. You see... I firmly believe that a believer is not just somebody who takes up residence in a pew on any given Sunday. A believer is somebody who walks into the world, lives in the world. Jesus lets us know and and the Bible lets us know that that though, you know, the world hated him, they're going to hate us too. In another place, it tells us that we are in the world, but we are not of the world, we still have to live and work and move and and we, we have to do all of these things in the world. How are we to be as believers? Well, here are the things that we need to look at this morning. The first thing that you need to be is you need to be on your guard. The Bible says, be on your guard. Now, being on your guard assumes something. It assumes that there will be attacks on your Christian life. It assumes that, and we are reminded over and over again in the Bible that we have an enemy. It assumes that you have an enemy as a believer. Now, if you're not a believer this morning, guess what? You have an enemy, but you're working with the enemy. You may not think that. A lot of people think, well, you know what, I'm I'm just, I'm going to, sit and not be a part of this. I'm going to watch and observe. I think my being here is enough. It's not enough. You've got to make that commitment to Christ and give your all to him so that you don't play into the hands of the enemy. The Bible tells us that we have a very real enemy. In fact, John 10.10 says this about our enemy. He has one purpose and one purpose only. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Go over to John 10.10. I want you to see that verse of Scripture. I want to read the whole verse of Scripture to you because I want you to see the other side of it, the flip side of the coin. The Bible says this, and this is in this verse of Scripture gives us every reason why we should be on guard, but also why we have the ability and the power to maintain that guard and not give in. The Bible says this, the thief, and I'm reading from the NIV, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Notice how Jesus worded this, only. It's his only purpose. The devil has no other plan for your life but to destroy it. But Jesus said, listen to this. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. If you want life, it's only found in Christ. Say, well, pastor, I've been praying for this relationship that I believe God is going to give me. Husband or a wife or all of those things. And we can pray for all of those things. But i got to tell you today that life to the full is found in Christ. Everything else flows out of that. You say, but that, does that mean that everything is going to be wonderful and there's going to be no problems? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Jesus said to his disciples, in this life, you will have affliction. But at the same time, you also have to remember the enemy is trying." to destroy you. You've got to be on your guard. There are so many times, so many lives that the enemy has been able to steal and ultimately destroy. So many who accept his empty promises. He makes promises he will never deliver on. He makes promises to people that he can never and will never fulfill. You remember the story of the prodigal son? The prodigal son went out there and sin took him further than he ever wanted to go. That is the lie of the enemy. The enemy comes along and says, sin will not take you further. It's going to help you. It's going to give you everything you need. You're going to be popular. You're going to be wonderful. And yet as this boy, this prodigal son sat there in the middle, middle of a pig pen looking so hungry that his body just wanted to all of a sudden devour the same pig food that the pigs were eating. Sin took him further than he ever wanted to go. The enemy seeks to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He has empty promises. The power that he holds over people is simply to lie to them. Did you know that this ought to be empowering to us? A lot of times we think that our enemy is so powerful and strong and, you know, I mean, sometimes entire ministries are built on and around the whole idea of you got to, you know, we got to defeat the devil, we got to defeat the enemy and, you know, we got to just really pray. You know what we need to pray for is for God to give us the sense, the scriptural and spiritual sense to tell when the devil is lying which is usually all the time, but to have that kind of sense. No, he can't come into the room, smack you up against the wall, like Hollywood thinks he can do, and do all of those kinds of things. He can't do that. The only thing that he can ever do to you is lie to you. This is why we have to know the word, so that we can be on our guard and be able to tell the lies of the enemy, because the enemy is crafty. He is very crafty. The Bible says, and Paul writes to the Corinthians again in the second epistle to the Corinthians, and he tells us that he comes as an angel of light. His deception is subtle, and so therefore we've got to be on our guard against the enemy. The enemy is coming to try to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. The devil knows how powerful and persuasive his lies can be, so he does his best to try to get you to give in to it. And brothers and sisters, there is never a better time in this day and age for you and I as believers to be on our guard against those lies. This is why we've got to be on guard So that we can, and and Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, "I don't want to. I don't want you to be ignorant of his schemes and his devices. I don't want you to be unaware of what it is that he's going to try to do. But the long and the short of it is, as Jesus said, he is a liar and the father of lies. So we've got to be on guard against the lies of the enemy. Jesus, on one occasion, told Peter that Satan had asked for Peter to sift him as wheat." You see, Satan believed that Peter wouldn't be able to withstand the sifting process. And while Peter failed in the moment of denying Jesus, Peter came out the winner because he succeeded by staying broken and repentant. Listen, folks, when the enemy seems to get the best of you, And it seems like you failed. Remember what the Bible says about Peter when he gave in and and he denied knowing Jesus three times. The Bible says that he went out and he wept bitterly. He went out and he wept bitterly. And the, the the part of his life in that moment was changed as he realized I failed the Lord I failed him but do you remember we talked about it not too long ago as Jesus uh, when we talked about the message on second chances and as Jesus was walking along the shore with him after the resurrection three times even though Peter denied him three times three times Jesus said Peter do you love me do you love me do you love me and every single time he opened up the door of restoration brothers and sisters, no matter how far you have fallen, no matter what has happened, you need to know that you don't have to fall under the weight of the lies of the enemy, but instead you can have the power to overcome. Peter overcame. Though he failed, he overcame, and he was an overcomer. I realize today the enemy would like you to believe that your past failures will dictate who and how you're going to be in the future. You've got to know today that your failures do not have to dictate what you will do in the future for the Lord. It doesn't have to dictate what you will be and become because God is greater than those failures. And the Bible says, and John wrote it in 1 John, he said, I believe chapter 3 and verse 20, 21 he says, if our hearts can us, God is greater than our hearts. Brothers and sisters, we've got to be on guard against the lie of the enemy. This is why we've got to be on guard. Being on your guard also means this. It means being alert in the hour of battle. What did Jesus tell his three disciples as he took them with him? that night into the Garden of Gethsemane, it was going to be the night that He was going to be betrayed. It was the night He was going to be taken away and, and put in front of that, that court that would condemn Him ultimately to death. Jesus told His disciples this, watch and pray that you, they wouldn't fall, that you don't fall into temptation. We've got to be on our guard because we've got to be alert in the hour of battle, so many forces. And I, we go back to, uh, I go back to World War II, when ultimately, war, the United States had to get involved in World War II. It was the the events around and surrounding Pearl Harbor, were out of nowhere, everybody had thought, and, and incidentally, it seems as though. There were there were warnings that had taken place, that that the Japanese were about to attack the United States and were about to attack the, attack their their stronghold, their ships that were docked in Pearl Harbor in Hawaii, and and those those reports went ignored. And then eventually, by the time they realized it was real, they couldn't relay the message fast enough in order to. Thwart the attack that would come against them, you see there was an element of laziness in all of that. There was an element there that of of ignorance of let's you know it 's not going to happen let 's not worry about it so much it 's not going to happen to us and until that day, it was that day when finally. Uh, Roosevelt had to step up and get the entire American force involved in World War II as all of a sudden, taken by surprise, they they weren't aware, they weren't alert, they were taken by surprise as those Japanese planes came barreling into Pearl Harbor. Brothers and sisters, spiritually we have to stay awake. We have to stay alert because if we're not, the enemy can take us by surprise. The enemy can come in and begin to wreak havoc simply because we're not spiritually awake and we don't have the word on the inside to guard against what the devil would try to do and how he would try to destroy. I don't know if it was this event or the night that you know Jesus was betrayed, but Peter learned from all of this. Turn over in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. I think Peter likely drew from that failure, the failure that he had that night both in denying Jesus a little bit later on, but also in the moment where Jesus had told Peter, James, and John, I want you to pray. I want you to watch. That word watch means to be alert. Watch and pray. Be alert and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. But First Peter Chapter 5 and verse 8 and 9. The Bible says this. He says this. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And then the Bible says this in verse 9. It says, resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of trouble. I think Peter knew how the enemy could come and begin to take people by surprise. And so he says in that next verse, verse 9, Be, resist him. Be on guard, be alert, be awake. Don't allow any kind of spiritual laziness to get in and rob you of your spiritual vitality and being on your guard. Brothers and sisters, this is exactly what Paul was getting at when he says that we as believers need to be on our guard. You need to be on your guard today. The enemy will come and he will whisper in your ear. He will lie to you. And the problem is, is that many times we believe his nonsense. Who are you going to believe? I choose to believe the report of the Lord. We're going to believe what the Word says. Now, the next thing that Paul tells us that we need to be in 1 Corinthians 16, he says that we need to be firm in the faith. We need to be firm in the faith. He says, stand firm in the faith because the faith you profess is going to come under attack so as to weaken your belief in the salvation that you have in Christ. If there is anything that is happening in the day and age that we live in, it is your faith as a believer is coming under attack. More so in the age that we live in than the time that when I was a kid growing up in church. It is coming under attack in a full frontal attack. Brothers and sisters, we have to be aware of what is happening and what is taking place. We've got to stand firm in the faith that we believe and that we profess and that we know to be true and to be right. Remember a little while ago, I want to say it was back before Christmas. I said, you just wait. Right around this time of the year, we're approaching Easter. Easter is just a few short, five, six short weeks away. You wait. All the news magazines are all going to have, you know, their little pieces about who Jesus was and all these liberal quote unquote scholars are going to get their two cents in and they're going to try to explain the miracle of the resurrection away. They're going to try to explain away all kinds of things and they're going to do all of that. And literally, what was it? It Like right after Christmas, Candies, you were in the store. I get this text, this photo uh, from Candies and she, she's, she's showing me the cover of Time Life. One of those, one of those magazines, who was Jesus? I said, see, it's already started. You can't even get to Christmas, and it's already there. They're doing it. They're they're pulling it all out. We've got to stand firm in the faith, whatever it is. You say, well, I don't know what the faith is. Well, you need to read your Bible. In fact, you can come back, and you can order the whole year-long series that we did about the faith and what it is that we believe, and, and how these things are so vitally important to us as believers, we've got to stand firm. The possibility, you need to know that there is a possibility of standing firm. We can stand firm because God would not command us to do something that wasn't possible. So it's possible for you in the middle of a world and an age and a time where people are attacking your faith, the faith of Christianity, it's possible to stand your ground. You might, in some cases, have to stand alone. In some cases, you might have to stand and be the only one who it's happening to, but you have to recognize that God will give you the power, He will give you the ability to be able to stand firm in the faith. The next thing I want you to see is the necessity of standing firm. Not just that it's possible. God will give you the strength to stand your ground, but also the necessity of standing firm in the faith. We need to stand firm in the faith. What is the faith? Not your faith, your ability to believe. This is the faith. This is what we believe. This is the embodiment of everything that we have arrived at as a result of what is written in the Word of God. Attacks on our faith happen almost on a daily basis. Happens almost on a daily basis. Basis, and yet we've got to stand firm in it. Standing firm does not necessarily mean that every two seconds where somebody attacks it, you jump up on your soapbox and start preaching to them. No, it just means that you are not going to be shaken when somebody comes along and begins to throw that seed of doubt in your mind and when God opens the door of opportunity for you to profess and proclaim the faith, then you can do that. It is absolutely necessary. Why? I believe this. Paul told Timothy that the word of God is not chained. It is not bound. The Bible says in another place, it tells us that his word will not return void. In other words, when you proclaim the word, not your opinions, listen, There are all kinds of political opinions. There are all kinds of things that people say and do. But you've got to know today that God is going to help you to stand your ground as you proclaim His Word. Don't worry about your opinions. You get into the Word. Find out what the Word has to say and proclaim the Word. It is the Word that will not return void. We've got to stand firm in the Word. We've got to stand firm in the faith. Not only that, the Bible says be men, or women in this case, of good courage or of courage. Why? Because when the battles in your life rage, courage will help you to face the enemy and not back down. You've got to be courageous. A man or a woman of courage does not give up. We say that again. A man or a woman of courage does not give up. Give up. I'm reminded of the story of one of David's mighty men. His name was Eliezer, the son of Dodo. He was one of David's mightiest men. There were all kinds of mighty men, but there were really three mighty, mighty men. And this man, Eliezer, was one of those mighty, mighty men. And the Bible says this. In fact, let's turn over there. Go to 2nd Samuel in your Bible. 2nd Samuel chapter 9. Or chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 23, verses 9 and 10. 2nd Samuel 23, verses 9 and 10. 2 Samuel 23, verses 9 and 10. The Bible says this. Next to him was Eliezer, son of Dodai. I said it Dodo because that's how it is in the King James. The Ahoite, however you say that. As one of the three mighty men, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines, or when they taunted the Philistines, gathered uh, at Pasdemim for battle. Then the men of Israel retreated. Now listen to what happens. All of a sudden, they're in this battle... Now the men of Israel are running away. But Eliezer, here's what he did. He stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. So he's fighting and he's fighting and his hand is so tired, but it's tired in this position. It doesn't let go of the sword. Oh, that's a sermon all all by itself. I'm not going there today. But his hand stuck to the sword. And the Bible says this. It says the Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eliezer, but only to strip the dead, the, to take the spoils of what it was. This guy knocked the whole crew out single-handedly he did that single-handedly and all of a sudden these guys come back oh yeah by the oh I like that gold bracelet that that guy has let me take that they come back we have to be men and women of courage the bible tells us that this man fought and he fought and he fought until his hand grew so tired that it stuck to the sword I grew up in northern Maine and I grew up in a time I remember the years now you know you want firewood here in the city. if you happen to have a fireplace, you go and you buy it somewhere. We had to to heat our homes in the winter time, which was very long. we had to actually burn wood all winter long, so that meant literally we had to have a basement full of wood, so every year every you know. Uh, Every year, at a certain time of the year, my father would go to one of the local woodsmen and one of the guys that he would know, and he would buy about eight to ten cords of wood, which was, you know, a big amount of wood. And that wood would show up on our property as logs. Now, in the early days before these hydraulic type of wood splitters, I know some of you are looking at me like, what in the world are you talking about? Just, Just hang with me. uh, You had an axe. Y'all know what an axe is. You had an axe. And you would have to split. Now, you wouldn't have to cut the logs. They had chainsaws. They cut it into, you know, chunks. And then you had to split the wood. I remember using an axe on one occasion so much that my hand grew so tired. I was so tired, but my hand got so tired that it was sort of like in this position. Not that position. Not this position. It was like that i understood this this passage of scripture like nobody else having had that happen that the more that you use it in that position you get tired and you get tired but you got to hang on to that axe or otherwise it's going to go flying and somebody else is going to get hurt now as time went on they came out with wood splitters and i said thank you jesus Because you just, you literally, it just sat in front of you, put a chunk of wood on there, you pull the lever and the hydraulic, you know, like an ax, it just pushed that wood and it split it in two. You still had to put it in the house, had to put it in the basement. You had to stack it in the basement. Trust me. No, thank you. I'll pay my natural gas bill and be happy about it here in the Midwest. It was hard work, but that ax, It literally would stick to my hands simply because I had a hard time. It was painful then to take my fingers and pry them off the axe. It's the same way with the sword. A man or a woman of courage does not give up. You hang on to the sword of the Lord. You hang on to the Word of God. And you do not give up in the midst of battle when the enemy comes along and tries to tempt you and make you think that you should give up. You don't ever give up. You stand your ground. You stick to your guns. You stay with what the Word says and say that is the only thing the Bible says that will last forever, not my opinions and not yours. It's the word. So I'm going to be courageous and I'm not going to give up. Now, a man or a woman of courage also knows who is on your side. You remember when David went out to meet Goliath, he said some very important words. And these were words of assurance to him. There were words of assurance as he walked out, being the only one who had been courageous and bold enough and strong enough and powerful enough in his heart to be able to go and face this enormous giant. The Bible says this. He says, I come to you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. You see, being courageous means that you know who is on your side. In other words... By ourselves, we're not so courageous. I remember there was a number of years ago, as I was involved in some youth ministry, I remember seeing some materials, and the 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 picture stuck with me all these years. And it's this little guy, just this little frail weakling, kind of a a wimpy kid, going into school. You know, I don't know if he had, you know, in the picture if he had a Bible under his arm or he, you know, he was. It was obvious that he wanted to live for Jesus in his school. And he was walking in, and the devil was there to meet him, to try to tempt him, to try to discourage him. And the whole picture depicted this, and it, it said it all. And the little kid walked in with a smile on his face and just had his thumb behind, pointing behind him. And behind him was the silhouette of what would be Jesus. And he said, I'm with him. Brothers and sisters, you've got to know that no matter where you go, you're with Him, that He is always with you. You can be courageous because you know that there is a God in heaven who is with you and is fighting with you. You remember Gideon against his oppressors. It was this saying, that thing that they said when they broke those lamps that covered the torches and they held them up. They shouted, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. They knew who was on their side. Jehoshaphat was against an outnumbering army, and yet in his prayer as he prayed in front of all of Judah, as they gathered together to seek the Lord, he prayed and he said, Lord, our eyes are upon you. Our eyes are on you. And Paul loudly proclaimed in the book of Romans, if God is for us, who can be against us a man or a woman of courage knows who is on their side you've got to know today that there is a God in heaven who loves you who is with you who is on your side he will not give up on you and he will never leave you he will never forsake you he is always there one final thing that Paul tells us we need to be and it is this we need to be strong We need to be strong. Strength is a sign that God is fighting for you and is with you. When you're strong, God is glorified. Courage will help you to face the enemy, but strength is going to help you to fight the enemy. Courage helps you to face the enemy, but the strength of the Lord will help you to fight the enemy. You see, we're to be strong when the devil tries to weaken us, through the circumstances in life. You know what he does so crafty with this? You have something that's going wrong in your life and he just comes along and he lies to you and he says, you know what? That's all happening because you failed God. That's all happening because maybe God's done with you. That's all happening to you because maybe God doesn't really care about you so much. Maybe God... I know he said it in his word, but he doesn't really love you like he loves somebody else. And you know what the problem is? Is in that moment when we feel weak, we allow him to weaken us even further and we listen to the lie. You see, it's through those circumstances that he attempts to weaken us. He doesn't have to, but he attempts to do it. And sometimes we allow him to do it simply because we are allowing the lie of the enemy to get into our heart rather than the word of God. You see, God doesn't love you more than he loves somebody else. Say, well, this individual, you know, clearly... Their lives are just all put together. Everything is good. God must love them more. No, no, no. The cross says he loves everybody equally. The cross is the absolute picture of an equal kind of love. God does not love you more and love somebody else more than he loves you. He does not have that kind of a love. We're like that. That person, I don't really care for them. This person, oh, aren't they wonderful? They're just so sweet and loving and all of those things. And that person over there, oh, they get under my skin. Oh, this is why we need the love of Jesus. But you see, the Bible tells us that we need to be strong when the enemy comes along and tries to weaken us through the circumstances of life, you can either allow it to weaken you or you can allow it to strengthen you. And somebody once said, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I think that's probably true unless we allow it to further weaken us. You see, brothers and sisters... It's how we react to it. It is our reaction to that moment where we feel that the circumstances of life are against us. We've got to go back to the fact that God is still for us. Even though He said in this life we're going to have afflictions, we're going to have troubles, we're going to have difficulties, it does not mean that He does not love you. Parents want to spare their kids from ever having to go through any trouble in life. And yet the reality is, is every now and then they will. Does it mean that as parents you don't love your kids? More and and enough? No, it doesn't mean that. It's that there are things that are beyond our control that we cannot change, but we still keep loving. Brothers and sisters, there are times when God allows you to go through certain things because He knows in that moment He wants to teach you how to rise above and to be strong in Him and in His power. It's not strengthen yourself, it's strengthen Him. We've got to be strong even though the devil seems to magnify our weaknesses. How many of you have had the enemy come along and say to you how bad you are and how weak you are and how rotten you are? All of these things... The enemy comes along, he does that. He tries to weaken us, and he focuses on our weaknesses. Paul said, I thank God for my weaknesses because it's in the weakness that he can be strong, that his strength can shine through my life. Brothers and sisters, when the enemy comes along, and says, you're so weak in that area. you say, yes, I am. But God is stronger, and he is more powerful in and through my life. Paul said, for when I am weak, I am strong. Our strength is in and from the Lord. You say, Pastor, do I have to be strong in myself? No, it's from the Lord. Listen to Ephesians chapter 6. Why don't we go over there one final verse of Scripture before I bring this message to a close. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Our strength is in and from the Lord. The Bible says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Our strength doesn't come from some mental exercise of telling ourselves that we're strong. It doesn't come from our own strength and our own ability and our own, you know, ability to rise above. We're just going to, I'm going to tell myself that I'm strong so that, no, it doesn't come from there. It comes from your relationship with the Savior. It comes from your relationship with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, it is only, and Alexander McLaren said this, only he who can say, the Lord is my strength, can say this, of whom shall I be afraid? It's only the one who can say, the Lord is the strength of my life, that individual can say, of whom shall I be afraid? If you don't have the strength of the Lord in you, if you're not seeking God for His strength to pour it into your life, then brothers and sisters, every little thing is going to make you fear. We live in a very real and at times dangerous world. When you look at the news and when you look at all the things that go on in our country and other countries, you think oh God, what's going to happen? The tendency is to be afraid. And yet, the Bible tells us that we find our strength in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Brothers and sisters, Paul told us four things that we need to be. And I believe that we need to listen to the Word. We need to be strong. We need to be men and women of courage. We need to be firm in the faith. And we also finally need to be on our guard. Those are four good things to be today. You might think today, well, Pastor, it was you telling us what we ought to be. No, that's Paul writing that. Paul was encouraging the Corinthians, this is how you need to be in your Christianity, in your faith, in the world that you're living in. And and folks, they did not live in a simpler time. We often look back and we think, oh, you know, if I had lived 40, 50, 60, 100, 80 years ago, if I had lived 300 years ago, that would have been a simpler time. I don't think it would have been a simpler time at all if you had lived in the time of the Corinthian church and the Corinthians and the time of Paul, that was not a simpler time, people. CTA didn't exist. You want to get there? your own two feet. That is if you didn't own a beast and you could ride on it. But usually most folks had to walk there or get on a ship. There were no planes. This was not a simpler time. This was not an easier time to live for Jesus. They had emperors who were complete and total rotten perverts. They had men who were were so bad. And yet in that time, that was the time Paul was telling them, be strong, be on your guard. Brothers and sisters, we live in a very difficult world. And so Paul's message to them is for us today. That we've got to be strong. We've got to allow the Word of God to work in us so that we can stand our ground and stand for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Let's stand to our feet right now.